listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hi, my name is Kim McCray. Most people know me as Cookie, and uh, we have another Kim here on the call with us. Hi, I'm Kim Petrosky. And some know me, this is Cookie Talking, my (laughs) nickname, uh, from my freelance film career. Uh, I started in 1998, and around 2013, opened a SAG after a boutique talent agency, McCray agency. I rep union and non-union actors, but um, I'm really thrilled and honored to be here with Kim and you again, Chris. Hi, I'm Kim Petrosky, and I'm honored to be here with everyone, and um, I guess I've been in the business about uh, 20 years, and currently what I'm working on, I'm actually oddly working on a couple of SAG commercials, which I haven't seen one of those in a while here. And I'm working on a hybrid documentary, and you don't really get a lot of casting directors on documentary, but I'm thrilled to work on it. It's just a really exciting little project, and that's what I'm doing currently. Kim Cookie McRae and Kim Petrowski, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Thank you, Chris. Of course. And Cookie, you've been here before. Uh, Kim uh, Petrowski. You have not been here. You've been here. Um, uh, you're joining us here for a very special conversation. And I want to give the audience a little bit of background on you. So I'm going to read from your bio a little bit. So this is for Kim Petrosky. Uh, as a casting director, Kim Petrosky has a proven track record with over 15 years in the business. I suppose that's 20 now. She has been involved in casting for over 40 theatrically released films. As a commercial casting director, Kim is unparalleled. She has cast hundreds of national commercials, working with the top commercial directors and ad agencies in the world. Kim is a member of the esteemed Casting Society of America. Among her notable past film credits are The Green Mile, The Last Castle, The Help, Patch Adams, October Sky, and the highest grossing among those, of course, is The Help, with around $170 million in revenues and growing. She was also notable, um, she also has a notable credit um, for the TV series Nashville as well. So, I want to get the audience a little familiar with you, Kim. And what we'll do is because both of you guys are ladies, I should say her name, Kim, uh, I'm going to call Kim McRae Cookie, which is her uh, famed nickname. And I'm going to call you Kim Petrosky. Kim, I might slip and call you Kimmy on accident, but we'll, we'll delineate that way. And so just to start out um, before I go in, uh, deep with with you, um, Kim. Tell us how you know each other. So, Cookie, why don't you oh, give us the God. story of of how you two know each other and why you would be here on a podcast together? How did this come to be? Oh, oh gosh. Okay, here we go. Kim, are you ready? Yes. Um, wasn't prepared for this one. Well, my nickname is Cookie because of Kim. I'd actually like to know how I got the nickname Cookie because that was a question that was. Um, thrown at me on the first podcast and I, I didn't have the answer. Mr. I think, o- I, I think it was Mr. Owens, but I didn't know why cookie. Um, I understood that basically we, I, Kim got me my first job in the industry on October sky in 98. Um, why she hired me? I don't know. She did. And um, I think I maybe tricked her. I did not really. I, she thought I had casting experience. I did not. Um, and uh, there were two Kims in the casting office. So I got the nickname Cookie. I don't know why it was Cookie, but it has now stuck with me 20 some years later. 
And then I moved to Nashville. She hired me on the Green Mile. And she basically has been, without crying everything to me, I would not be here right now in this industry had she not not only given me my first opportunity, but many. Um, we worked together all the way through Elizabethtown in the mid-2000s. So um, I don't know if that answered the question, but that's kind of, yeah. Kim, you might have a different story on that. Well, as I recall, that was exactly <laughs> how it went. But the funniest part, um, we had just hit the small town in East Tennessee working <laughs> on this um, this film. And <clears throat> the first thing we did was have a huge open call. And so people would, uh, you know, fill out their little applications with their photos and they would say where they work and just some general questions. And um, Kim McRae had on her form that she worked at a casting company. And we, <laughs> we were like, we were just looking for anyone with any experience. And we were like, oh my God, she's working casting. And so we immediately called her in for an interview. And then we found that it was like casting, like metal cast, forging. <laughs> so, like like cast iron skillets. Yeah. Know? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and the, re the the name Cookie came from, I mean, Mr. Owens, who is who is a tremendously long-term uh -huh. friend of ours, and uh, I mean one of the most creative humans on earth. And he came up with that because it was sort of like a girl Friday thing. You know, it was like that was if your oh. name was Cookie. You were a quick, fast, hot secretary assistant type, you know? Yeah. And there you go. Now I know. Apparently that was you. Yep. So, yes, she, we were tricked by the casting forgery aspect. So that was it. I love that. I love that story. It's a, yeah. It's a <laughs> there's, a, there's just something perfectly... Um, film about that story, especially the part where the, where there's a mistake on the word casting, where there's sort of a double entendre there. And there's something about how the universe pushes people into certain places. Um, just simply in, in this sort of very quirky, uh, way. And I, I love that story. Um, Kim, you went to the university of North Carolina school of the arts, uh, was casting really your first love? And if not, no. what was it? And, and how'd you get into casting? I did that thing where I was really into forensics and um, drama in high school. And so then I started searching for a university to attend, like we all do in our junior year. At least that's when I started. And um, I just was going for theatrical arts because, you know, there are no casting schools. There were no casting schools. I mean, if there are now, it's, it's really pointless because you can't learn casting from school. Mm -hmm. But... Um, I went, I toured like Carnegie Mellon and Boston University and um, then North Carolina School of the Arts. And frankly, that school really tore my mother up the most as far as the, the random and casual aspect of it being, it felt like a technical college, to be honest, because these were people that were actually working in theater. These were people that were actually doing theatrical arts. And that, that's how it sort of started was that program there. And I just thought, okay, this place is the most bohemian and frightening to my mother. So that's where I should go. So that was that <laughs> choice. Okay. Right. I love that. So were you mentored? And, and if so, um, what advice or guidance do you still use in your career today? You mean mentored as a casting director? Yeah. Yes. I had, I was in, I, right from university, I immediately moved to New York City. Okay. Cause that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> I took, I had a garage sale. I made a thousand bucks and I got my little two seater sports car and drove to New York. Okay. Mm -hmm. I had no place to live, nothing, but it just, you know, it made sense. So that's what I did. Cause that's where I wanted to live. Um, clearly my parents did not care if I ever made a living by allowing me to go to that school, et cetera, but that was okay. And, um, I started working in on an off Broadway play. And then I started grant funding for a little tiny filmmaker, uh, Barry Markowitz, who actually, I think he did the 
Postle with um, Robert Duvall, and he's done a couple other things. But anyway, um, I worked for him for a while, slowly slid into the fact that I needed to pay my rent. And so I started working at a little shop on the Upper East Side. Um, one of the people that worked there was Susan Shopmaker, still one of my best friends on earth. She was a casting director and just sort of slid in with her and became an assistant to her. And we started, we did a lot of like, those, that's when indie films were actually indie films, you know, mm. in New York City. And we did a lot of low budget indie films and did a lot of incredible casting, a lot of street casting, some great wild stories. And that's who really taught me everything I know. Now, if you ask her, she would say, I taught her everything I know, but that's, you know, be that as it may, that's how it started. Is there anything that you still use today uh, that um, applies back to those sort of guerrilla times of, of uh, indie films in New York? Is there anything that, that you take from that experience to what you're doing today? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm going to tell you what I don't take. We don't roll up on the Lower East Side and start handing out cash from our, the trunk of our car, <laughs> paying actors non-union. We don't do that. But um, I think it's simply, I guess so much of it is was so much more organic then. Um, than it is now. It's 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 a lot more. I, I'm not saying it's a lot more organized, but for then for that moment, it just felt a lot fresher and uh, okay. Here's what I want to say: Let actors do what they rehearsed. Let actors come in with whatever they worked on and let them go through with that first. Mm -hmm. Just trust that. Mm -hmm. That's just one of those things that I, that I remember distinctly. I mean, we would have those kind of casting sessions that we would see 20 people a day. And currently now that's unheard of because we don't have that kind of prep time anymore. But that's how much time we would spend with people. And we also, and I, I wish we had that much time with, you know, prep now, but it gave the actors a moment to just sort of relax, which a lot of times we don't have time to do any, anymore. And God knows with what's happening now in 2020, am I ever going to be in a room with an actor again? I don't know. But that was one of the things that we really took the time to do and we made it there was a light, let's just say from us, our, what we energetically gave to them is we're not the enemy. Don't be scared of us. We're lighthearted. We're all trying to get this, you know, this, this thing cast and we're trying to have the best experience for everyone here. Yeah. I, I think that's great. And you mentioned something a moment ago that really sticks out, which is that there really isn't a place to go to school for casting. So no, there's not. So, so what advice would you give a young creative who wants to get started in the casting business? You're going to have to be an assistant. You're going to have to like hook up with someone who does casting. That's the only way that I know to learn it. I mean, truly, it, it, it truly is. Um, and same with an agent. It's the same thing. Yeah. There's no, yeah. Very similar. Very, very good. And any, any thoughts on how to get, like, if, if I'm walking in the room and I don't have the, um, <laughs> the luck of, of being in metal casting <laughs> and, and then having that person make a mistake. Is there any, is there any advice? And this could be for you as well, cookie, any advice for someone walking in, trying to make that connection as an assistant and say, well, you know, what could get me hired? What, what would you like to see? Is there any advice uh, to those creatives that are looking to do that? Well, I also think that, you know, a great shot, from uh, to being working in casting is also if you've worked with an agency, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I'm not saying that those things are interchangeable, but that definitely gives people an overview before they move into casting just to see how that whole process works. Um, but I mean, you know, for being a casting assistant, uh, you know, assistant, a lot of it is organization. A lot of it is knowing 
you know, the ins and outs of the business and just sort of how, how that works. You know, lots of times I've had PAs on projects that I've brought in and taught how to be a casting assistant. So, you know, it's usually somebody that has some sort of sense of the business. And like with any of these things, you've got to want to do it. I mean, nobody comes into this for, I'm just here for a big paycheck because that usually, you know, we know how that works out. Right. Right. Yeah. So basically the the best advice is be prepared, know your business and come ready to work. So there you you have it. Also, yeah, it's, um, and the thing about casting, that's just a little different. I mean, my job requires a deep understanding of psychology, truly. Um, let's see, artistic taste, um, just a level of knowing actors, um, knowing, uh, different styles of directors. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of background. So there's a lot of that just basic film school stuff that also would parlay into being an assistant. Now, being a casting director is, you know, is a bit more, I mean, it's not just, I mean, that's the reason it boggles my mind when I see all these projects that are trying to, you know, cast pictures um, and films without hiring a casting director. Because I always wonder what happens when it gets down to the negotiations? What happens when it gets down to working with agents? Because... I mean, even though it's my business, I just think we're invaluable to the process. It's not just, um, let's get a group of friends together and we know we can act. So, well, that is perfect timing because I'd like to segue into a different part of the conversation and maybe the meat of why we're all together on this call today, because there are some trends happening around, um, uh, agencies and casting that, uh, seem to be pretty poisonous or potentially poisonous and toxic. Um, Cookie, what are social media castings and what's good about them and what's bad about them? Um, Real quick. I want to add to what Kim just said. One, we should know, but Kim, it's safe to say you're overseas, hence the connection issues. Yes, we can say that. Yeah. Kim is in Milan, Italy, correct? Yeah. You just outed me, but that's okay. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Well, we can work from anywhere now. So, you know, I I could be, you know, wherever, whatever. Anyway. um, And and also to add, you know, she brought up that psychology part of it. I I believe that um, you, you have to be, I think, you know, highly intuitive, um, you know, Kim, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think on October Sky, my very first job, um, I knew nothing about the industry. Kim taught me, I mean, so much. And I believe about three weeks out from finishing the film, she and Mr. Owens were like, uh, we're going to do Patch Adams. Uh, you're in charge. <sighs> if I'm not mad. God, that's right. And, and, and I'm like... Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I started out filing, you know, it, so I, I guess I'd proven myself. I was organized and, you know, intuitive and all of those things you need to be in the casting world. Um, I guess I had proven myself because they left me and they, and I was terrified. I think I was like, what am I going to do? We had this big final uh, rocket launch scene in October sky and I had to get all the extras. And I think I hired a stand in to work as my assistant, but mm. I got all, isn't that right? Kim though, you yes. guys left. It was, it was yes. interesting, <laughs> but I don't think, I, I don't know if you would have left. I think maybe you would have brought in someone else. I don't know. I just remember feeling, oh, I can, someone believes I can do this. You were the you best know. assistant I ever had. How many times have I told you? I mean, can I tell you how many times I've had to say, we need a fucking, we need a cookie in this office. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Still to this day, there was no one that was like you. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know about that, but thank you. But yeah, I just, I just remember that feeling of, oh my God, wait, they're going to do another movie. And 
I'm on here. What? I didn't know what to do. Um, but anyway, to social media castings, you asked what's good about them and what's bad. Yep. Uh, and, and, and what not- are, and what are they? Just okay, to let so, the audience so, in on this. So, so as Kim kind of just, you know, discussed before, it used to be, you know, street casting, whatever you want to call it, real people casting. And I remember on Elizabethtown and a lot, again, you know, uh, of course, we discussed in the previous podcast my traumas and whatnot, kind of my memory, so I could get some things wrong. And Kim will have, um, that's why I'm glad she's on this call because she can maybe say, You're full of shit. And that's not how it happened. But um, take Elizabeth Town. Um, I, I think there was this, we had to, there was this boy, and, and Cameron Crow would be like, I think he was like, um, there was this kid and I saw him on a bike and I want him, I want him in the movie, you know, Cameron loved faces and he would handpick people. And, and so Kim and I are like desperately trying to find this boy or so. I just remember we ended up getting some kid and threw him in kind of how Cameron described him, like in a red hat and a blue shirt, if I'm not mistaken, Kim, did I just make that story up? Clay Thistleway. You did not. That's him. Go ahead. Okay. So anyway, so having said that, that's how it used to be. Right. And there was a lot of love behind it. Cameron cared about every single person on that set. And thankfully a lot of great directors still do. Right. Um, and on, and, and some of those stories Kim, you know, told about paying cat, that all happened. And, and on green mile, I would make my rounds to specific colleges here in Nashville and pick up, guys in my car that I didn't even know and drive them to the old state prison. Um, but today, you know, cause of course internet or social media wasn't around back then. Um, today these Facebook castings have started popping up. So there are several and I monitor them. I believe many casting directors and agents do. Um, and, it's just an easy way to find people instead of going out and doing the work. Right. So they'll put up a posting at say Nashville casting call. I don't want to call any, there's several of them and they're going around a casting director and an agent for a reason. And these see not season, these actors who maybe have a few credits or just maybe don't at all. And, want that experience they'll just jump at say they'll see this $500 number you know $500 for the day or whatever and not understand that they're signing their life away to a major corporation you know say I'm gonna make something up um Microsoft Apple or whatever and end up in a commercial and they own their likeness forever because they don't put the details it, it's just, I don't, Kim can say it better. It, it they, t- in my opinion, there's really nothing good about them. They're dangerous. They are weakening our market. And I don't think it happens in other markets. I, 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 I think the Facebook pages and other markets are used for here's, we're doing a short film, no pay, but you know, and that's fine. You know, I don't have a problem with the short films and it's the commercials and things that can really damage an actor's career. And it's just a cheap way to get around hiring a casting director and going through agencies. Well, I, I, I think a good excuse or an, I should just say an excuse that, people will have and talent will have is that, Hey, this is 2020. This is COVID. And, you know, Kim just mentioned that, Hey, I don't know if I'm going to be in the room with an actor again, anytime soon. And there are actors that are afraid they'll lose work if they say, call my agent. So Mm -hmm. what do you think has changed? Has it changed forever? And, um, why do you think it's just the sort of Southeast market and not in happening in LA and, uh, happening in New York. I don't even think it's just the Southeast market. It doesn't happen in Atlanta. I haven't seen it happen in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. There's something distinct. I, I've got to say this. And, um, there's something distinctly different uh, about Nashville and the way it started in doing film and commercials. Nashville started with music videos 
Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different type of production. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just like that sort of sensibility has, has carried through its two commercials and now it's carried into some sort of film, you know, some types of filmmaking. A lot of producers are aware that you can shoot cheap in Nashville. And that's a lot of producers coming in from out of town. And that's not the Southeast. That is specifically Nashville. And that has been told to me more times than I would, than I could. That was the reason they came to Nashville. Got it. Cookie, what do you think? Uh, do, you, do you think there's a reason why actors are afraid Let's just call it specifically in Nashville, but maybe in other markets, why they're starting to shy away from saying, call my agent. And if so, you know, what's what's changed and has it changed forever due to maybe COVID and other factors? No, I, I don't think it has anything to do with COVID. It, it started happening long before COVID, basically since, oh, yeah, since Facebook, you know, in the last um four to five years in particular. So this has been an ongoing thing. Um, I would like to think not forever. I mean, I'm starting to feel a bit hopeless there, but at the same time, I have now taken a very strong stance as an agent and I have made it very clear to my actors. If they take a social media job, I will drop them period. End of story. And if others do that, we can maybe, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. People are always going to come here to film. They want to. We, we, you know, they out of out, Kim can attest out of you know state produce or out of they love shooting in Nashville. They love coming here for whatever you know. Maybe just eat hot chicken. And no, we have a great crew base here, and we have a great crew base, you know, crew uh, in talent pool. Um, but it's specific to Nashville, and um, I think the other thing would be in regards to: Are they afraid to call their agent? The old saying: There's a great French series that's actually called "Call My Agent." Call my agent. Um, Everyone should watch on Netflix, but yeah, maybe, but I think it's more, I question where they're learning the, the business, um, because if they understood the business, they would know not to do that anyway. The first thing you do is call your agent in this case, email, right? I, the thing I'm curious about though, is basically what's changed is the internet you know, if I'm hearing you correctly and and specifically applications on the internet, like Facebook. And I do hear that and and understand that, Hey, if you do this, then, then I'll have to drop you. Um, but it it could be a catch 22 for an agent and, and for a casting director. I think at times, because it's, you know, depending on who the client is, if it's your biggest talent, your, your best moneymaker. Now you would say, well, they're seasoned. They're not going to do that. But you're also not going to drop them if they do. I mean, do you have to try to deploy or employ a three strikes rule, regardless of how big the talent is? Is is that is that where you're at with it, Cookie? And and Kim, my seasoned actors don't do it. That's I think the point. They don't partake in those. In fact, every time I send an email to my roster saying, if you, and no, I don't have a three strike anymore. It's you do it and I'm done. One strike. One. I, I, it, I, I've had to go to that. Yes. I didn't want to. Um, so, but, but I don't, I don't know why as far as, sorry. No, go ahead, Kim. But cook, explain why as far as say, uh, you know, usage and that kind of thing, the reason for it. Well, when I say they're going, these people who go, when the, when I say these people, by the way, it could be a variety of people. I don't sometimes know who they are. I don't recognize their names. It's just some random person posting saying we need models and it's, uh, it'll be a lot of fun and $50 an hour, blah, blah. Well, um, Again, if it's, um, I'll give you an example. 
there was a Burger King commercial uh, last year. And while they didn't go to Facebook, they did something else that's happening, which I call direct contact actors. And I would like to get into how that happens. Um, but, You're talking uh, about direct hire. So yeah, definitely yeah, talk, yeah. talk to us so about direct hires. I, 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 that's a, uh, it's a complicated thing. It's, but in regards to, let's take the Burger King thing for example, one, the, 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 um, previous Burger King commercial had shot SAG after number one. So they come to town and they are going about doing what we, uh, we would call, you know, real people street casting. And they're saying it's a, um, I can't remember what they called it, a promo or, um, it, it, it wasn't, they didn't call it a commercial. Well, it was a commercial. So one of my actors, um, emailed me and said, Hey, I did this thing. They said, they said, Oh, a focus group. That's what they called it. A focus group. And this is keep in mind a huge ad agency, right? I mean, um, and, um, my actor did it and I said, I want to see what you signed. And of course he didn't have a copy. So I said, just email the, the person who booked you and without them knowing, say it's an agent asking, just say, you know, you want a copy of it for your files. He got it, sent it to me. And right there on the first page was, it was clearly a commercial two years usage and they paid him $800 cash on the day. So now what happens is if we have a sat, if Kim is casting a SAG after McDonald's commercial, right? That actor has a conflict with fast food for two years because he wanted a quick $800 right. and didn't know any better. Right. Does that make sense? It does. And it's, it's a dangerous, the sort of the dangers of, of, of playing a short-term game with your career and, uh, it, there's another issue similar to that, which is this sort of stock photo job oh. thing. And, and can either of you talk to me about and talk to this audience about why that is dangerous for creatives that aspire to be great actors in the future? I have something to say about that <laughs> real quick. Um, okay. This is, this was, this is the approach that I've seen. It's um, perhaps you get some sort of breakdown or you get a call wanting some actors and maybe someone wants to just build the reel, you know, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing, nothing other than that. They just want to build the reel. It's not a job. They just want something uh, that looks good. Okay. But let's be honest. If someone's building the reel, that's a reel they're going to make. They're going to get jobs from. Right. And also, um, that's also an actor's likeness that they're not going to know what happens next with that. There's no control with that. Um, and I mean, cookie, I think you can take up from there, but, but um, it's just like, uh, I guess what I'm saying is it's sort of like the social media. There's a reason people are not going through the normal channels of hiring actors. Okay. And it's usually because that they don't want to follow, you know, the industry standard steps. And there's a reason for that. Maybe it's financial. Pick one. I don't know what it is often. But at the end of the day, the person that it usually hurts the most is the actor. So, like she was saying, there are these, uh, I guess we can call them producers or whoever. I don't know. Production. I don't know. And they will contact a quote-unquote friend who's an actor and say, hey, do you want to come make $50? Da, 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 da. And again, this is not on social media. And I want to explain also how they get their information in a minute um, for this to even happen. Because this never used to be a thing, right? They, uh, these people wouldn't know how to contact an actor directly. Um, and that is something I'd like to see change. But um, so... Um, so these people like Kim said are building their reel, these producers or whatever they are. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what some of them do. I just know that they are building their reels and Actors. to maybe, Oh, well, I'm sorry. I meant on the stock footage and where these 
producers are building their reels so that they can pitch to say an ad agency, you know, and I want to do your next commercial. So in order to do that, they have to have this great reel with pretty footage, if you will. And so they're taking advantage of the local actors here in the market and they're selling this to stock footage. And if anyone doesn't know what stock footage is, it means, I mean, you can Google, I think, I don't know. There are a bunch of stock, just Google stock footage. There are a bunch of stock footage websites and they own your likeness forever and can use it wherever. And the best example would be that I would say to actors on why you should never, I can't even believe I'm having to say this because it never used to be a problem. And it is in Nashville. Um, you could end up in a Trump commercial, a political campaign commercial. It has happened. Google Trump political stock footage ad. Mm-hmm. And that is a career killer. Um, Kim, if, if you were casting a project and saw an actor in a Trump political ad, or most any casting director for that matter, they're going to be like, what? But you could end up anywhere. It doesn't matter. Or you could end up in an automobile spot because they sell that footage to the site and then they can use that footage wherever. And then you suddenly have a conflict with a bank or an automobile company and you don't even know it. Right. And it's all, I just, actors have to stay away from it or, uh, it's, it's gonna, it's just gonna, we just look bad. We look, it makes us, it makes us look amateurs here in our market. It is embarrassing. It, it never happened before. This is a new thing. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fascinating and it seems like it's born of, of the speed of, of technology and then also sort of the, the need to make quick cash to pay bills. And that's a really, I mean, looking at it from the other side, and looking at it from the perspective of the talent, uh, you could get desperate and you could say, I don't have a choice. I, I need to, I need to make this move and, and let's just keep my fingers crossed and, and see, um, you know, if this works out or, or not, how can casting and how can uh, being an, an agent or having an agency align with the future? Like the internet isn't going away. Facebook isn't going away. Instagram isn't going away. The speed of transactions isn't going away. Do you find yourself misaligned with the times or, or do you feel like this is just simply a training issue or education issue? I think it's education, Kim. I do too. And I, and I, I think oddly it's very, I'm not saying it's only Nashville, but because we work and live here, it's in Nashville, and I don't see it in the other cities in the Southeast. Mm. And, and, and I have to ask the actors, okay, and Chris, I hear what you're saying. Desperate, need money, whatever, right? But at what cost? At what cost, right? What is that $300 at the end of the day? Um, to give you an example, I had actors in a... SAG after National Bank of America spot over a year ago, they're still getting checks. I won't say how much, but Kim, you know what a national SAG, you're working on one now, you know? Right. Um, a national broadcast SAG after spot, people have been known to buy homes from that money or a new car and pay cash. So, what is that $300? At what cost is it worth it, you know? Not only are you setting a precedence, but how do you really not value your worth that much? Right. It's it's, it's unbelievable. It seems like the long term play is to is to try to do the industry standard, and that those industry uh, standards are created to support both the agent and the casting director and and others that work in the business as gatekeepers, but also the talent um, to help filter out a serious talent from let's say not so serious talent. Um, but, but the internet makes, uh, creates egalitarian landscapes wherever it goes. And that's just kind of the nature of it. So I'll I'll be keeping my ear to the ground on this and just, I wonder how it will all turn out. One thing that came up in my research, uh, Kim, is that featured extras are good for commercials 
or, or aren't good for commercials, but are good for feature films. Why is that? Why, why is a featured extra not good for a commercial? Cookie or me? Yeah, you, Kim. Well, there's, I, I don't even know that there is a featured extra. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's featured extras in commercials because once you're recognizable, you're a principal. You're not. But they're, they're doing it. They're doing it now. But yeah. Right. Yeah. I haven't, I mean, I'm not saying they're not, I'm just saying my personal self hasn't had that, but I've heard mm-hmm. that term being bandied around and, um, I, you know, I don't get it because like, like I said, once you're recognized, you're recognized now film. Well, here's one thing. Tennessee does not have a SAG extras contract, meaning extras for films are non-union. Whereas there is a SAG commercial contract in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Does that make, does that make sense? It's yes. just, you can hire. So then there's like varying areas of extras in film in Tennessee and also most of the Southeast, they don't have that. So it's like you will have a featured and it's the thing about a film that's different than a commercial selling a product like you're, you know, directly selling a product in a commercial. To me, it's just a different arena. It's a different, you know, film has the more creative aspect of there are situations where you want someone who doesn't have to actually be speaking lines, but they can be featured. Just to to me, they're distinctly different. I guess I'm not making, you know, a point of why they're distinctly different. It's just (laughs) like, it's ingrained in me that they're, they're completely different, you know, as far as the commercial goes. Yeah. And, and, I think I think I get it. I I just didn't know if if Cookie, you're mentioning that it's a trend. It's happening, uh, but but why is it why terrible. is it, why is it terrible? Yeah, why is it why is it something that let's say uh, an agent wouldn't want to see, or maybe even a casting director? But but give us your thoughts on that, Cookie. Well, one, it's not going to happen on the SAG after commercial. I need to make that clear because once they become if they're seen. They're they're upgraded to an, uh, what we call an OCP, an on-camera principal, and that brings them into a whole other tier, a whole other rate, etc. So now I'm getting breakdowns, and it'll say, "Prince," and these are non-union jobs. Uh, principal one thousand, featured extras five hundred, extras. 300. And I just automatically go back and say, okay, here are my selects or, you know, I'm pitching actors for the principals, but not the featured extras. And I have a, I have a template email at this point to tell every producer and production company in town why there's no such thing and never has been because once you're featured, like Kim said, once you're seen, it's a, she just said it's a product. You're attaching yourself to a product, whereas a film, it's a one-off, number one. You're just, a, you know, a lot of extras fight to get, you know, closer to the camera, right? And that's fine. You know, great. You're standing next to, you know, Tom Hanks. I don't care, whatever. And um, But with, with commercials, if you're featured, it's not a good thing because then you're attaching yourself to that product, and it takes you out of the... Um, consideration for future products. I use that Bank of America example. So if um, if you're in a if you work as a featured extra on a bank commercial, that's not um, SAG AFTRA, and you're making a featured extra rate of three hundred fifty dollars, and a SAG AFTRA Bank of America commercial comes around, they're not going to want someone with a conflict. Right. And you now have a conflict by doing that. And then the, the the other thing I wanted to talk about real quick in regards to the direct hires, I, I would like to say if producers here in town are listening to this, um, when I was coming up in the business um, after casting, I was that person, Kim remembers, that, that AD doing call sheets for. Call sheets are very different in the film and TV world, as you guys know. You've got a character num- uh, number, a character the actor name and the character mm-hmm. name. Okay. Mm-hmm. And on commercials, it used to be the actor's name, the actor agency and the agency number. And I'm not sure why 
it, it changed. I, I'm not sure. Maybe at some point someone was like, oh, it's just easier if someone's running late or we're behind at this location. We'll just text the actor real quick. Well, they have their information. We've already sent production their information. They've got it in an email, right? It doesn't need to be on the call sheet. So what's been happening over and over is um, you've got call sheets floating around on count hundreds and hundreds of commercials and music videos with the actor name the actor's email, and the actor's phone number. So if a DP is on a commercial and was like, oh, yeah, I love that actress from that blah, blah commercial I did, they'll just reach out to them directly. Hey, I'm doing this other spot. Would mm-hmm. love to have you in it. And and completely take us out of the loop. Right. And and so we have no control. And that's education. Yes, completely. And we have no control into what they're walking into. And I, I'm going to go ahead and use an example, and I, 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 I'm I just going to use it. Um, I'm going to give a generic example, but because sometimes it can appear to work out. And now I'm going to explain what an agent does to protect the actor and why these direct hires when you don't have an agent protecting you or a casting director in the background fighting for you. Because that is what I should note, by the way, Kim does so very well. A great casting director loves actors, fights for actors, whether it's a commercial, a film, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um And so now when they're not hiring casting directors, you know, I'm having to, I'm finding myself in these positions where, okay, this DP from this shoot, I'm going to use this pharmaceutical company as an example. Um, The DP reached out to me. He's going to be a DP on this big pharma commercial that's coming. You know, they're shooting in multiple cities and they want to use us. And I said, okay, loop me in. That's what I tell my actors from here on out. And, you know, I will drop you unless you loop me in. So they loop me in. It's like a 20-page release. And on the first or second page, I wish I could make this up, but I'm not. (laughs) Um, It said, because keep in mind this is Big Pharma, and it was a medicine for, let's say, depression. I'm going to make part of this up, okay? And... um, Right there in the contract, it said, and you know, the, the pharmaceutical uh, commercials will often say actor portrayal, and they say that for a reason. And even though I nego- here's where an agent comes in, I negotiated the actor portrayal, there was still a clause that I wanted removed, which stated, as long as the commercial was running and the usage was a year up to three years, they could not participate in any theater from Broadway to community uh, film, television, any medium, um, any character committing a crime, potentially committing a crime, someone say, quote unquote, off their meds. So I'm talking to the lawyers at the ad agency, like, what is this? Right. <laughs> and, and I don't know if it's normal or not, but I'm like, this is crazy. Like, if you think about the shows that film in the Southeast, like Ozark or whatever, chances are you might be committing a crime or, or playing someone who they think maybe appears to be off their meds. So in their heads, they're thinking the medication, their medication that actor is selling doesn't work. And I'm like, okay, one, that's crazy. And then I pose the question, well, we're not living in the world of minority report. Mm-hmm. How do you guys deal with a situation where you hire an actor and book an actor and they're running in your spot and then they actually do commit a crime in real life right. and the, the phone went silent. But do you see what I'm saying? So if the actors had not looped in me, if, if they don't loop in their agent, the agent has no idea what's going on and they don't have a casting director protecting all of that from the beginning and they go do that on their own, think about what they can't do for up to three years. That's a lot of work they're missing out on. Yeah, it's a huge problem. And I, I unfortunately just, I'm not sure it's going to get better uh, anytime soon. Um, but it also could get worse for the, the contracting side as well. I, I often think about what the, uh, enforceability of a contract is 
when you enter into an age with AI machine learning, deep fakes and images and, and, and voice simulation, et cetera, where you can make someone do a crime or seem to have done a crime. You can make someone and implicate someone in a behavior that is antithetical to their contract terms. And they will have to try to work to, you know, you know, to, to clear their name, you know, we're entering a, an era of, uh, permissionless leverage by someone outside of your, your circle. And so I think, um, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a lot to this, to this coming up in the future. And it's a really important thing to, to be bringing up, uh, for sure. Uh, Last last quick question before I ask everybody ask you where everybody can find you on the internet on social media. Kim and Cookie both have kind of mentioned general location uh, or, or SAG after a commercial versus film. We've talked about this sort of dichotomy a lot. I'm curious from from you, Kim. Um, you've done both general location casting as well as being the casting director on on some of the films that you've worked on. Um, what are the differences between, you know, for, for someone listening, what's the difference between being a general location uh, casting director versus being um, a casting director on a feature film? Um, lot, basically, if I'm doing regional or location casting, usually the leads have already been cast and then I'm hired. You know, usually at least the first the top two, three, four, five, six leads are, and, um, they're usually cast of course out of New York or LA mm -hmm. and then the project is going to shoot on location and I do the rest. Now what's happening a lot with projects that I'm doing is that I'm the principal casting director, even though we're shooting in Nashville or somewhere in the Southeast. And I am also hiring the leads from generally Los Angeles or New York. You know, we still work in a business where m many of the leads are, are cast there. And I am able to do that by, you know, remote casting, self-tapes, um, and then, of course, arranging, you know, Skype sessions with directors, producers, that sort of thing. So I hope that answers your question. But that's, that's really the main difference. And, you know, over the years, we've seen, you know, we've seen that change. I mean, I remember when I first started working in the Southeast in Nashville, I would go as a location casting director, I would go on location. I mean, I spent three months in a prison in, you know, <laughs> Carolina working on a film because that's where our offices were and, you know, in a prison. So, and, you know, and the cool thing about that was, and I wish, of course, we had some of that is you're on location every day working with the director. And so, you know, you can't replicate that anymore because, of course, the business has changed a bit. And, you know, now I sound really old when I talk about those things. But, you know, those were really interesting times for a location casting director. Of course, an, an L.A. or New York principal casting director would never go on location. But we got, you know, the gift of being able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I I I think some of these things don't need to be revamped, and and that in person touch, you really um, you really can't duplicate it. And there's something magical that happens. So I, I don't think you're aging yourself at all. I just think that you've sort of seen it both ways, and you have a preference. And I think that's perfectly uh, fine. Yeah, I mean, like Cookie was talking a little while ago about like Christopher uh, Christopher Columbus. Help me, um, <laughs> the, the best producer, uh, Cameron Crowe. And Cameron Crowe came in and did the callback sessions with me and ran the bloody camera. I mean, how freaking adorable is that? He right. ran like a teeny, tiny, little consumer, little shit camera of ours on a tripod, and he wanted to do it. It was and the best callback sessions that the actors at Nashville have ever had. They were, they were walking out of the door going, oh, my God, I cannot believe this is happening, you know, that sort of thing. Thing. I've also been in the room with Milish Foreman and you know Woody Harrelson and Courtney Love and Milish Foreman trying to run a video ca camera and he does didn't know how to and probably still doesn't. Okay. <laughs> so and we and, going, and Kim, what is this light? Where's the light? And you know, bizarre. Anyway. Kim, we uh, remember the uh Marty Cherix Bob Redford story. <laughs> yes. You know, um, 
there was something magical and I'm sure for you, cause you did it so much and still do going on location. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will say Chris, a lot of the elegance is gone. You know, mm-hmm. I, I will say there, there, there was a sense of respect. There was a sense of elegance. There was a sense of everyone on set. You're doing what you want and you're mm-hmm. making a reasonably good amount of money and doing what you want. Now, what businesses do you ever get like, you know, like a huge group of 125 people working and they're pretty much doing what they want to do. Yeah, that it's a beautiful that thing. Often. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't happen that often. Yeah. And, and, it, and I'm not saying we're not grateful now, but we really knew we were lucky. We really knew we were lucky, you know? And um, I guess that's the part that is disheartening because once you lose that, that sense of industry standard and protocol, and this is the process you do. And I'll be honest, I just have a huge soft spot for actors. I also work with a lot of producers who I generally love. And I also see a trend to a belief that, well, actors will work for anything. Actors, mm-hmm. actors are dying to act so much that they'll work for anything. And that kind of thinking just kills me. Yeah, that's actually the opinion I'm leaving this conversation with is that to solve the regional problem and maybe even this specific Nashville market problem, but I'm sure it's happening elsewhere. We're just sort of not aware of it is that you just basically have to raise the price of services and then have everyone agree to that. Because I think that what happens is, is, or what's happening with, with, with actors is the same thing that's happened with filmmaking itself, which is that it's a race to the bottom. You know, if it costs too much to shoot in LA because of, you know, whatever uh, government bureaucracy exists there that, that creates and, and the, and sort of the pay scale that exists there, let's run to Georgia and shoot. Let's run to Canada and shoot. Let's run to New Zealand and shoot. Let's shoot in the UK and let's just shoot for the lowest price possible. And, and, you know, even if it's not necessarily good for industry, and um, you can usually solve that just by readjusting the price point by which everybody can play. And then if it's not a benefit to come to Nashville, maybe you take a short-term hit of booking less work, but you have the long-term success of knowing that you're going to avoid you know, social media castings and, and direct hires. So that's, that's just a thought. Um, ladies, this has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed it. This is an important conversation, and I'm so proud that you both chose the Make It podcast to sort of speak about it. Uh, Cookie, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and on the internet. It's McCray Agency across the board except Twitter. So Instagram, Facebook, what's the other? A website, McCray Agency, M-C-C-R-A-Y Agency. That's wonderful. And uh, Kim, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and on the internet. Um, Facebook, Kim Petrosky Casting. Um, my website, Kim Petrosky Hat Casting, but actors aren't going to want to go there because it's pretty boring. But if people want to hire me, they can. And, um, you know, Instagram, sorry, it's a lot of pictures of Italy and food and uh, <laughs> monkeys. So that's probably not going to help anyone. But it's, But again, it's Kim Petrosky across the board so that's wonderful i do what i can chris i do what i can i think we all get on instagram for pictures of food italy and monkeys that's that (laughs) that that could be the tagline for instagram for all in my opinion i'm totally envious of you right now kim being in in italy i think um uh it's such a beautiful place and and all my time that i've spent in europe uh in the past uh I have the fondest memories of, so can't wait to be back there. Can't wait for travel restrictions and bans to be lifted and cookie. You're such a, um, a a wonderful, wonderful steward of the film community, especially here in Nashville. And you've been so wonderful to me in the podcast. So thank you again for joining and ladies have a, have a wonderful day. Thank you, Chris. Anytime, anytime. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see each other in person really soon. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Yeah, I agree. These are these are these are fun conversations, and uh, this is why we do it. So hopefully, everyone out there listening learned something today, and we can make an impact with the information. Yes, okay. indeed. 
Let's hope so. <laughs> All right, ladies. Talk to you soon, and thank you so much. Yeah, Chris, have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks, Anytime. Chris. This was great. Ditto. Bye, ladies. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.